and this is the CCA's podcast and I'm Gareth K. Vile and I'm afraid I'm going to have to rush straight into my first interview today because, well, we've got quite a lot of people on the show today. So, first person who's arrived in the CCA cinema, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Sabrina Henry. I'm assistant curator at CCA. Well, welcome, Sabrina, and thank you for taking the time to come down. You're assistant curator. Yes. What does that mean? Ah, lots of people ask that. I work with the curatorial team, but also the events team as well. So primarily with Francis McKee, who's the director, Ainsley Roddick, who is the exhibitions curator, and Viviana, who works on our public engagement program, um, which is hugely extensive. So as much as possible, everybody's program crosses over and interacts, and I work to support that happening, as well as uh, working on administration and logistics. We're not going to talk about that, though. Okay. There's a project that you're interested in discussing today yes that's right i'm working on refugee festival scotland um refugee week takes place between the 20th and 30th of june this year um and working on programming for that which includes an exhibition a discursive workshop which will be with oomph making uh, making a magazine and then a sound installation a dinner a community meal and a movement workshop now are these things happening in the cca or is it a broader part of the refugee festival most of this program is happening at cca uh, one program will be happening off-site and we're just finalizing the details of that but as part of refugee week there are there's an extensive amount of programming by lots of partners, artists, um, community groups happening that week. So it is going to be really busy. It's a huge, huge week, isn't it? Yeah, really, across massive. the whole city. I mean, <laughs> massive. a massive event. It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I, of course, heard the words, you're making a magazine. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm not. Um, the magazine is being... Uh, being worked on in collaboration with UNC, who are a collaborative publishing practice based in London primarily, but they work all across the country and a little bit the world as well. Um, but the point of it is working with artists who have a lived experience of the immigration system um, to determine what they want to write about, talk about, publish, see in a publication. Um, so it's all being determined by, uh, by their workshop so we will see mm-hmm. how that is. Um, but it's being facilitated by UMC, who are leading that. And UMC stands for one of my kind. So they oh. have a biannual publication mm-hmm. uh, that comes out. And there's also some food as well, did you say? Eating together. Yes, there is. That's Roman Mandare, who is uh, an artist of um, various, various disciplines, uh, including writing. She's written uh, two novels. Um, and she also works with sound, with movement, um, and mostly as part of a practice that likes to talk uh, talk about heritage, but think about it in the context of now. So she'll be inviting 12 participants to have a meal with her. The workshop and event will be called um, So Reap and Slowly Savour. So we'll be thinking about plants, seeds and foods um, from each woman's um, cultural heritage and how to actually talk about that food in the native or mother tongue. That's amazing. There's quite a lot involving food and soil and earth that goes on in the CCA. And that seems to be yeah. something that's quite interesting. Is not what you'd expect from the Contemporary Centre for Arts in some ways. Maybe not. I suppose um, in a lot of ways to me it feels as though it's what people are talking about. But I suppose I would say that because I'm surrounded by the people who are talking mm. about it. But maybe it's about thinking about where we are, particularly in terms of this programme. Um, the main exhibition or the visual arts exhibition, I should say, happening 
in our gallery spaces with Uriel Orlo. So he's thinking about plant migration, colonial plant migration, what that, what that looks like and what that means and how plants can act as um, witnesses to the history of colonialism when we're thinking uh, refugee contexts. So I think probably for the artists that I'm working with, thinking about... Um, who they are, home, um, what that means, uh, what is your native land if you have been moved or are moved. Um, I think that comes a lot into the context of soil, mm. land, plants, um, all those things you might find here but elsewhere too. Absolutely, in the case of the soil that's next door at the moment still in the exhibition. With Amelia Beatrice, that's Which right. I'll be talking about later on, yes. but that is a soil that's going back to where it came from when it that finished. That is exactly right. This lovely yeah. idea of movement from here to there and back again. Absolutely. Wonderful stuff. I also think as well, a lot of energy in the arts in general comes from, I guess it's a post-colonial aesthetic of examining what the consequences of colonialism has been. Mm -hmm. Is that something that across the refugee week comes up quite a bit as well there? I mean, I couldn't talk about the full programme mm -hmm. uh, for the week. But I imagine so. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some incredible things, but I haven't been part of programming those. I don't know so if anyone could talk about the full program. No. Honest, <laughs> I really wouldn't expect well. you to do that. But it, but it seems the things that we've been talking about that are happening centred around the CCA. Yeah, uh, I I would say yeah. I think mm. I think it's really I think it's really important from a personal perspective. I don't have a lived experience of the refugee or asylum system, but when I'm thinking about migration and what that means and people's understanding of what my home is and also my personal one. Mm -hmm. I think it's impossible to do that without taking into context colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, that is the history of all peoples regardless of race, in my opinion, um, if you are British and probably European. Mm -hmm. um, we have all moved <laughs> and been moved or our ancestors have. So um, a lot of the conversation that comes up now in terms of um, borders and uh, who can be here and who can't be here, it, it has a, a historical significance that has placed us in the situation we are now. I need to watch myself because this is the kind of topic I can really go off on for quite a long time. Okay. So, so um, I'm going to rein myself great. in rush um, on. I will. <laughs> it's the the 23rd of June, did you say it starts? It, yes, it will do. It, in fact, it'll actually start on the 20th of June mm -hmm. um, and it runs through to the 30th. Uh, Uriel Orlo's exhibition will preview on the 19th, so come. Um, and that will be showing till the 24th. Ramal Mandair will be in the club room at CCA from the 27th till the 29th of June. And UMP will be in Intermedia Gallery on the second floor from the 20th to the 22nd. And with a little bit of work happening on the 23rd, so on new day that weekend. That's absolutely wonderful. You totally put me to shame with the knowledge. Thank you so much for doing that. Nice to speak to you. <laughs> my second guest today, I finally got to speak to one of the cultural tenants who work in the building, actually works very close to where I work, Shah Nazir from BHP. Hi there, how are you Now, doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Okay. Yeah. The reason I've got you here is because of Comic-Con, yes. which is coming up. But can I yes. ask you about BHP, first of all, because the mysterious three letters and sure. the wonderful yellow and black colouring that we get around the building from? Yeah. Well, uh, BHP is a kind of bold heart publishing, and we are um, we are Scotland's only independent graphic novel publisher. So we're making a range of comic graphic novels um, that, that go anything from political anthologies to fantastical um, witches fighting wizards. Um, so, so that is actually referring to something that's going into its third edition now, I believe. Yeah, Plague, the, the Miranda Chronicles is our 
was our, was our first YA um, title. Uh, yeah, and it's gone into its third third volume, which will be out and launched at Edinburgh International Book Festival later this year. Um, and so it's very exciting. Uh, and it's a Glasgow-based writer, Gary Tudley, and an Edinburgh-based artist, Tanya Roberts. Best of the Central Belt, really. Yeah. Now, it's very exciting that it's being launched at the Book Festival because that suggests that you're being given a level of legitimacy that isn't always afforded to comic books? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably been the case in the past kind of two, three years. We've definitely felt a rise in the legitimacy of comics and, and certainly other festivals and other events and other institutions wanted to be associated with, with comics and graphic novels. Um, and we just have to be in the right place right now making, making the stuff and kind of leading the kind of charge in Scotland anyway. Um, but yeah, it's great for that event to be at the book festival as part of the children's young part. I can't tell you too much right now. Could it be part of the young person's program, um, which hasn't been announced. Which yet. hasn't been announced yet. Okay. Um, you heard it here first, sort of. Yeah, um, but it's uh, and you know we did one last year and it was it was incredibly busy. Um, so we're this year. It's really we're really pleased that we can launch the book off the back of it as well. Well, one of the things. I'm realizing as I talk to you about this is that it's not just about publishing comics. Mm. There's something more going on. Obviously, Comic Con, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. But it seems that you work in a lot of different ways to help that legitimization. I'm thinking of one of the projects that you did last year mm. that was to enable younger people to get involved in making yeah. comics. I mean, the, the last year we ran a thing called the Full Color Project, which was funded by Creative Scotland. Thank you, Creative Scotland. And um, it was a really great project in the sense that we could. It was a, it was the first of its kind as an outreach project for for attracting young people of color uh, from from Bain backgrounds um, to get them to make their own comic works for the first time. Um, and you know, it's as with most of these things, it's it's always difficult finding finding those groups and finding those people in in the kinds of places that where they are and who they are and. Um, and, and I think really, with, with especially with books and with, and with comic books, it's actually even more difficult to find who those people are because, as we know, most comic creators are sort of in a room by themselves drawing and writing mm -hmm. uh, and making. And they're not out. They're often not out and about, and they're not going to community events. So... Um, so it's so it was a real it was a good it was a real good challenge and a really good learning curve and um, the young people all involved all made excellent content and they were ranging from sort of fourteen to twenty six and uh, and we produced a book off the back of it um, which is which is out and about if you want to support the project if you want to support future endeavors that we're doing then you can buy that book off our website yeah what is the website you it's should name uh, that bhpcomics.com Great. So it seems as if you have to build a community, yeah. build legitimacy, and then you can do a bit of publishing on top of that. That's kind of that's kind of how it is a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it really is that the the thing of us having to really create all, all the elements that are required for this particular medium um, from the ground up because they just weren't there in lots and lots of ways, um, and to, to, for it to be legitimised in Scotland, particularly. Um, and you know we all we always talk about Scotland being a, a world leader and um, in creating comics, and to an extent we are in that we are exporting our content, like we're exporting our creators. Um, however, what we're not doing is what we are doing right now, which is developing the content and developing the talent here, using Scottish creators, using Scottish uh, printing, using um, Scottish kind of logistics all the things that are required to then make 
the beginning part of, of, of an industry. And it's, it's incredibly exhausting. <laughs> yeah, you so one yeah. man creating an industry, an infrastructure an in order it's, to it's, let it's, these yeah, happen. That's yep. exactly it, Gareth. It's, it's actually the infrastructure which is the hardest bit. Mm. And getting into the, into the publishing world, into the book publishing world, and then getting them to understand who we are and how we work and how different it is, the hybrid mm-hmm. uh, model that we've made for, for our publishing company, um, which is very different to a traditional comic publisher and different to a traditional book publisher. Um, so it's, it's, we are a minority within a minority. <laughs> yeah. But Glasgow Comic Con is an important part of that. Yes, and always, always has been, yeah. And so how many years have you been involved with it yourself doing Glasgow Comic Con? Well, this is, and this run, this is year nine for oh, of Glasgow okay. Comic Con. However, um, I, when I was 18 or 19, a very long time ago, um, I ran three different conventions, um, three Glasgow-based conventions. They weren't called Glasgow Comic Con. They were, I think they were called Universal Comic Fair or something. Um, and we didn't realize at the time, but they were comic conventions. We were just kids putting stuff on. But I think our second event or our third event, I think our first event, we had Brian Talbot as a guest. He had just released Tale of One Bad Rat. So this is 1993, mm-hmm. yep. and then, um, and then we our, our biggest event was an event where we had sort of emerging talent coming to it as guests. So the emerging talent were Frank Quietly, Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, Jim Campbell. Timed it Jim well. Campbell, Jim Alexander. Timed it very well. We timed it very well. We didn't know. Um, Colin McNeil, um, and established names like Alan Grant. The Electric Soup guys. There was a whole bunch of of Scottish-based people. Alex Ronald. Um, they were all all there at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was amazing, and that was that was great. So, and then I, I kind of went to college and did what you do and all the rest of it. So, um, so re- to really, my t- so for me, this is actually my twelfth Glasgow-based okay. <laughs> convention. But of this Glasgow Comic Con run. Um, when it was when it was reestablished, and this is now our year nine officially. Mm. Yeah. So I'm wondering who might be listening because plenty of people would know what a comic con is and been there. Yeah. But for those people who've never been to a comic okay. con and fancy coming along on the 29th sure. of June, what is it? What well, well, Glasgow Comic Con for, for for us is really it's a giant fun day out, uh, a giant workshop for people and for families and for readers to come and to meet comic authors, meet comic writers meet international guests that have traveled, you know, thousands of miles to be here to kind of see you and and greet you. Um, And we've got our own kids comic zone, so kids can take part in one of the many workshops happening, all all from a sort of four or five years old up. Um, We have our amazing costume competition, um, which, again, we have a kids competition as well as an adult pro kind of competition. Um, And you can come and meet all these amazing kind of people and uh, in addition to that we've also got um, exhibitions on um, at the CCA here at Intermediate Gallery running from the 26th to 30th I think is that correct? 25th 25th to the, th- to the 30th um, but yeah so Comic Con is, is it, it has probably you know 20 different bits of programming all within that one day um, and you can meet lots of amazing comic authors and comic creators, mm-hmm. of which there's probably about 120-odd um, that will all be there for, for that event. 
It is something you can spend a day at, isn't it? it really Absolutely, is, yeah. 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 And, and that's why we moved it. You know, we, we had to move it out of the CCA and into the Royal Concert Hall just because we, we needed the additional floor space and we needed additional people space for, for the number of attendees that were coming. Um, what you won't find are, are media guests. You won't find TV and film people at it. We don't have any TV and film guests because we're not we're a book comic con, um, not a TV comic con. Um, but you will still have a great time and you'll see people dressed as Superman, as Batman. If you've got kids and you want to introduce them to them and get them into reading, it's the perfect thing because that's why we made it. There's some amazing guests as well. And the yeah. two I'm picking up on it, Frank Quitely, yeah. who was at your early ones well, when he was a, an up-and-comer yeah, in those yeah, days. Now he's a legend. Yeah, now he's our, he's our patron for yeah. our event. Yeah, And Al Ewing as well, who's been very successful in American comics, for yes. superhero comics. Yeah. I believe he did some Avengers and stuff. So he's been on yeah, some he's major a, he's work. Some, he's got some great new stuff coming out for Marvel 1000 as well. I think he's on six or seven books for that coming mm. up. So he's got an, a lot of great titles. Yeah, incredible yeah. stuff. Yeah. So And that's interesting to see British-based, Scottish-based. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. Al's English, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So the, 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 from here as well, Tanya Roberts, who is one of, one of your stable of writers, yeah. is another guest, another Scottish artist. Yeah, and, and again, Tanya's great because she's, you know, she's better known for drawing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Star Wars Clone Wars and Toy Story and those kinds of things. So um, she'll be there. and She'll be also doing her own uh, drawing workshops. Well, I think she's teaching people how to draw... Yoda this year and turtles. I'm pretty sure. Yoda and turtles. Well, similar. The green so and green. Wrinkly. We're, we're sticking. We might stick with just green. Yep. We might do Hulk as well, just to, to get the full range of get stuff. full range of that's green wonderful. people. Yeah. Great. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much You're for taking the time to talk today. Of course, if you want to get tickets for Glasgow Comic Con, it's www.glasgowcomiccon.com, and that's the 29th, starting at 10 o'clock, happening. Is it all in the? Royal Concert Hall, yeah. All of it. All of it. Everything, including the cosplay. Including the cosplay. It's all in that big building. We're taking over both three floors. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much. And I am back in the CCA cinema. I'm very delighted to have a guest this year whose exhibition is already on, so I've actually seen it, which is great, which might make me slightly better informed. Would you mind introducing yourself, first of all? Uh, sure, my name is Emilia Beatriz. And can I ask you about your exhibition as well? What's it called and where do we start talking about it? The exhibition is called Declarations on Soil and Honey. Where do we start talking about it? Well, <laughs> I, I think the first thing to say, it's next door to us. We're in the cinema. It's yeah. actually next door. It's running until the 30th of June, so I can do the practical stuff. So it's got quite a long one. There's a few events associated with it as well. Can mm -hmm. I ask you about them at all? Are you involved in the events? A little bit, yeah. There is one of the things that it was actually quite a long lead into the exhibition because of, it, of, of the fires up the road. So we actually have been working on this project, me and Ainsley, the curator here, mm -hmm. for nearly a year. And one of the conversations that we started was about in infrastructures and resources that the gallery has in relation to the themes of the show, such as land and healing. And so one of the events that's happening as part of the show is a seed library that's being launched that will stay in the CCA. Mm -hmm. But that's something that sort of sprouted from the project, but I'm not directly involved, but I'm really excited about mm -hmm. it. Well, you've been here before in the CCA, haven't you? You've been involved with it in the past. Yeah, I have, yeah. Way back in 2011, 
it must have been 2010, 2011, I did some work before there was an education program. Mm. There was uh, a desire for an education program and a desire to do some projects with growing. And so CCA had a, had a variety of different ways of addressing this and they did some exhibitions as well. But I came in for about six months mm -hmm. as an intern um, to do a project in the in some allotments and also with different growing projects, people that were addressing what may now be called food autonomy or food sovereignty. At the time, there was a lot of conversations about food deserts or food apartheids mm -hmm. in Glasgow, which is um, spaces where within a walking distance, it's very difficult to access any fresh fruit or vegetables. And through that, as part of that, I became really interested in beekeeping and the politics of beekeeping and the and practice of working with bees in relation to the land and, and all the different kind of aspects of that. And so that has really, that was a kind of spark about 10 years ago that led to some of the work that is now in the exhibition. One of the things Francis mentioned was that you've been, are you living in Puerto Rico at the moment or you've been working in Puerto Rico and there's a connection between here and there for you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm an, I'm uh, of the diaspora of Puerto Rico is mm. one way to put it or of Puerto Rican descent. And although I've been living and working in Glasgow for the last 12 years at the moment, I consider myself to be sort of working and living in between Puerto Rico and Scotland. So the one of the starting points, another of the starting points of the work that led to declarations of stolen honey was a group process in Puerto Rico that was started by two artists, Beatriz Santiago Munoz and Michelle Nono, and um, in collaboration with an organization there called Beta Local, which has a history relationship with uh, the CCA. They organized these walking seminars, and one happened in an island, part of the archipelago of Puerto Rico, called Vieques. And through this, I was engaging with the history of land struggle and resistance to the military, the U.S. Navy, on this um, uh, island, as well as the forms of um, rebuilding and um, working in the land that happened there. And I learned of a connection between Scotland and this island in Vieques, which was that when there was a 50-year a struggle to remove the Navy from this island. And at the end of that, once the U.S. Navy finally left, they came directly to Scotland and were bombing up in, in Cape Wrath. And for me, so that although I don't think the story of Vieques is my story to tell, although I would like to amplify the um, voices of people that are part of that struggle and, and continue to be part of that struggle for their land and for their health and for their autonomy, I felt that this connection with Scotland was something that I was, because there's so few uh, Puerto Ricans of the diaspora living in Scotland, I felt that I was, it was a story that I could facilitate to share. It absolutely seems an important story to share, because as you say, it's not something that perhaps we're aware of, well, I certainly knew. I was just listening to you going, wow, this is an incredible connection in many ways. And that, that idea of how historically there's a global interconnection between apparently very disparate places and that and that seems really exciting but that there also seems in your work you're speaking to something about community and place that seems to be an important theme is that true am i yeah uh, and i love the way you said about amplifying rather than telling the story as well mm. uh, and these are sensitivities that you go for in your work yeah definitely i would uh, say all of that is true <laughs> yeah i think it also comes through my uh, uh trying to start from my own position in the world and where I'm living and my relationship to home and land and and um, 
and seeking these connections, um, both in in a way that I can understand my own histories and the different histories that have made up mm. my experience now, as well as um, how that plays out on a kind of more social mm. like scale or historical scale. And that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of moving into the exhibition, the actual space itself. There's something strangely, I'll say strangely intimate about it, because you don't always get that in CCI exhibitions. There's a sense of intimacy, of closeness, but also, of course, there's a lot of soil in there. So it, it feels quite um, uncanny, I guess is the word I would go for. Mm -hmm. e even though you can feel these things, the idea of community, the idea of a communal space, all of these things are there as part of the exhibition. Mm -hmm. But this uncanniness, was, was that something that you were aware of as you were making it? Mm, yeah, I was really, um, I mean, I guess that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of the um, the writing and a lot of the process of making the work also came through working through um, things that I had exp have experienced through my own body and my experience. And so a lot of the writing kind of came from that point. Or, for example, witnessing and um, experiencing the aftermath of the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, but from a, from Scotland. And so this kind of like very un trying to understand the way that the crises that were really collective crises and really preceded this event of a hurricane, um, how they were passing through my body. And so the way that I approached some of the ways of making the work was about a kind of grief work. And that was uh, something I engaged with personally, but also through conversations and particular conversations with uh, beekeeper beekeepers and crofters or sustainable farmers, people that worked with um, plant medicine, uh, a way to understand their relationship to the land and healing and, and place and uh, to not, because when we talk about grieving or loss, it can feel very like heavy, but I think I was interested in the moments of like action or joy or like regrowth that happen in these kind of ruptures. So fi finding something inside there that isn't just the predictable idea of grief as heaviness and weight and something that pushes down, but actually these moments of creativity perhaps in it. I'm quite interested as well, we've come back to beekeepers a couple of times, and you talked about the politics of beekeeping. Now again, as always, my ignorance is such that I kind of know there's a problem with bees, culturally and uh, uh, ecologically. Is that important again in your work, or is it something that you want to engage with with this piece? Yeah, definitely, and I think... Um uh, so one of the two constellations of film works is called Conversation with Annalisa, and it, and it is basically a, a, a document of um, an oral history with Annalisa Perez Quintero, um, who speaks, who's a, a, um, a, a farmer and an activist in Vieques, um, Puerto Rico, and uh, she lives and works on an apiary, and she can tell, she tells many of these things in her own words in the mm -hmm. piece but um yeah so she speaks about yes we're part of the bees are often talked about as part of the signifiers or the um they've become a kind of like an indicator for some of the plights of the world around us um because uh, humans depend greatly on bees and beekeeping for pollination it's one place where we've been able to witness the kind of changes that are happening and people are um, becoming very concerned about about it. In, in Puerto Rico, actually, before the hurricanes, but it's intensified afterwards, there's been a lot of studies about how the particular 
the particular ways that bees are developing there because it's an island and um, and because of certain kinds of crossbreedings and things that date back to colonization mm -hmm. actually have happened that the um, the bees in Puerto Rico and other parts of the Caribbean are maybe quite key in understanding how or in um, you know, understanding how and uh, and also the they've said that the bees in Puerto Rico and the Caribbean might be a key to saving the world's mm -hmm. bees. And so for me, this was uh, not just something that linked Puerto Rico to Scotland, but something that I thought was interesting to... Globally interesting. I think it's very exciting. I'm realizing as I sit here out of my depth, as always, but there's quite a lot of really important issues that you're exploring through the work. Mm. I think we've touched on colonialism, post-colonialism as well, the connection between different places, ecological I'll call them challenges. We could call them disasters as well, really, I think. So there's a lot of depth in in the work. Mm -hmm. And working o over a year, has that allowed you to kind of get to grips with some of these subjects for yourself and within the work? Did the extra time help, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it made my uh, research folders very massive mm -hmm. and quite daunting to go through, but I think it did allow me to be able to spend some time with different angles mm -hmm. of these really big questions. Um, and also, like you, I want to pick back up on what you're saying about the uncanny, mm -hmm. um, because the idea as well, when we started this, was to make a sort of a speculative narrative about some of these themes or to make something and I, I hesitate actually to use those words I think they're quite overused at the moment but we've been talking about also like a psycho-emotional narrative or a psychoterratic which is the so the mental states or the psycho-emotional states as it relates to the land mm -hmm. but a kind of a narrative that um, whilst it can be historically informative or presently informative about practices and histories and people's experiences and forms of resisting um, and forms of working in their environments and with the these wider struggles that we're talking about, it could also be a space for um, uh, reimagining the past of the future. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes place in, a, in what's called a, a near future or a recent memory. And um, there's, uh, yeah, I thought... I was interested in creating a, a space that, that did um, through the different um, visuals and also in collaboration with um, a, a musician, sound artist who I'm working, worked with for this, Kira Coward-Dale, making a soundscape and, um, and a kind of, and the mossy infrastructure is a kind of space to view and experience this work where you were able to, to dream or or understand it in a different way rather than just having a historical narrative um, spoken to you by in a kind of didactic or um, uh, teacherly mm. manner. Because it moves away from that kind of intellectual appreciation or understanding towards something that is, I'm going to say sensitive, but I mean sensual, I guess, yes. that it's immersive in many ways. Uh, it's emotional. It's deeply emotional space yes. to be in. And it's a tremendous way of, are you okay with calling it an installation, I guess? Because that's always a question for me. It's like, because it feels like that, rather than calling it an exhibition, an installation feels like a better way of understanding it, mm -hmm. or, or at least introducing it. And the other thing, of course, is the multiplicity of collaborations that go on in mm -hmm. the work and the different 
media, I know my worst question I ask artists is, what is your art form? Mm -hmm. you know, what do you work in? Mm -hmm. And already I'm aware that's such a dumb question for me to be asking, mm -hmm. but it seems that you are interested in pulling from different things to create this immersive feel to the event. Yeah, definitely. And, and at some points I feel like even... Yeah, that the way that I work is sort of aligned with like community archiving and with um, oral history making and um, yeah, as well as being an artist. So mm -hmm. I feel like I can't like pull myself into one of those yeah. ways of working. Um, but yeah, certainly all those different formats are. They're, they're all present there. I yeah. think, and, th and that's the exciting thing about being able to use the space like this as mm -hmm. well. Did you have another project that you're moving on to after this one or is it a case of taking stock for a while? Um, I, well, both. And I think this, um, I was understood that this moment of making something public was kind of a part of an ongoing process. And I think that works are alive. And mm -hmm. this work is actually literally alive with the, or half live <laughs> with the, the moss that's present in it. And there will be a process of bringing that moss uh, that's in the exhibition or installation um, and gathered from different sites around Scotland, including proximate to current military installations back into the earth and mm. um, uh, to have another kind of life. So uh, and the process of recording uh, oral histories with people who are working with bees here in Scotland um, who have especially in these island ecologies, I think, but also how actually in Scotland inland we can have kind of island ecologies because of the vastness yeah. here. So um, those conversations are just beginning, mm -hmm. and I hope that this exhibition can be a way for me to reach out to more people who, who work in these ways and might be interested in some of the topics and, and having a, a place to um, share some stories that, that could go somewhere in the future. Um, and yeah, so uh, I don't, I feel like it's unfinished somehow. And I think that's something quite beautiful as well, because the moss itself being transplanted, going back to where it came from, if you like, mm -hmm. being a continuation sort of of the exhibition. I don't think people would necessarily want to go out and see the moss in situ, but letting it go in a quite a beautiful way, I think. Yes. Well, well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Declarations on soil and honey lasts until the... Well, it lasts, it never ends because the moss is going back out, but it stays in the CCA until Sunday the 30th of June. Thank you so much again. For my next interview, I've managed to invite somebody into the CCA cinema who is bringing an event to the CCA Louise, Hi. would you mind introducing yourself first of all? Who are you? Sure, uh, my name is Louise Oliver and I'm an actress, producer and co-founder of the Persistent and Nasty Initiative. I'm going to ask you about Persistent and Nasty because what is it and why is it coming to the CCA? Sure, um, so Persistent and Nasty is an initiative, an initiative that focuses on amplifying marginalised voices in theatre and film. Um, we primarily focus on women's voices but... It, as a feminist project, we're intersectional, so um, we want to amplify anybody who doesn't get mainstream opportunities in uh, the theatre and film industry. Um, and we do that by having a podcast. We have a podcast and we also have a series of live events um, here at the CCA, which are 
script readings um, by new voices and uh, then a discussion with an industry guest. So that industry guest might be a playwright, might be a director, might be another actor or a producer, anyone. So you've got an event in June? Yes, we do. And are you allowed to tell me who the mystery guest is? I sure am. It's not mystery. It's Morna Young, playwright Morna Young. Oh, great. And she's just coming off the back of uh, quite a long tour of one of her pieces, isn't she? Lost at Sea. Lost at Sea, yeah. So that's good. What really inspired you to start working on this particular project, this initiative? What what made you feel this really needs to be done? Was there a moment? There was a moment, actually. Um, it kind of had a, a bit of a, an evolution. Uh, so what happened was um, I was frustrated as a, an actress, uh, being a female and um, of, of a certain age, a woman, a woman. So uh, I, me and some other actresses um, were just getting a bit peeved with what was available and out there in terms of parts written for women um things written by women um and we just started getting together to read plays um in our living room basically um but what happened was in searching for plays to read that had a particularly strong female voice or more than one female character um we discovered that it was kind of lacking and the ones that we did find were like they, they all talked about men, for example. Um, we couldn't really find a lot out there that we could get together and read and feel really excited by. So that started a conversation about, well, why is that? Um, maybe we need to go right back to the very beginning and figure this out a little bit. And the, the, that started us talking about, well, what can we do to maybe figure this out? And it, and it formed into, well, maybe we should do a writer's call out and do an event. Which and is where we bring us... CCA the CCA and yep. yeah yeah so the CCA um, very kindly uh, took us on as a sort of um, a programming partner essentially so they support the event in a huge way which we're extremely grateful for because you know we're just a grassroots event nay money as so many so many of us are um, and it was originally the first one we ever did was at the old hairdressers and then we realised um, we were doing an event about marginalised voices in an event that was completely inaccessible <laughs> to people um, if they weren't very able-bodied. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought that was a problem. So we started scouting around to see if there was anywhere out there that could support us and the CCA came to our rescue because um, they're brilliant. Well, it makes sense within their open source programming yes, strategy that's as it, well. Yeah. And, and also that, that sense of trying to include people. Now, you mentioned intersectionality earlier. I think this event in the CCA has an intersectional edge, although I'm aware that sometimes it's a bit dangerous to say something like that because what can yeah. it mean? Yeah, that, that's true. And I think we're still learning um, about what it means. And I think it's been a, a brilliant initiative and project for us because we were learning as we go because it kind of started f- very much from our perspective, like rooted in the idea, like we just want to we just want to do good work as actresses and there's not we're not getting parts and it's very frustrating. So it started kind of very insular and very about us. And then by investigating what that means, it's kind of opened our eyes and our mind to exactly what's going on. So it's very much become about creating a platform. So when we get something wrong and we have done in the past because we're still figuring it out what we want is for people to tell us that so that we can respond accordingly and we still don't know what that means so we like for example our first event was just very very broad it was and it came it came off the it was on the crest of the wave of the me too me too movement because it was right at the top of 2018 which wasn't intentional it just kind of happened that way so that room was just full of like this crackling rage (laughs) it was really really intense it was a very intense room to be in um and we had uh Sarah Sharawi on the panel and she said something really interesting on the discussion side of things about how 
feminism and women's rights aren't necessarily at the forefront of her mind as a young Arab woman, a playwright from Egypt. It's kind of her first um, sort of hurdle when she's um, trying to get through the gate in terms of her uh, identity as a playwright. And that opened our eyes again and we went, well, yeah, you're totally right. Um, it's hard when you've got complex layers to your identity, it's hard to just focus on one thing because there are, as a white woman, I have heaps more privilege um, than a woman of colour. So that discussion informed the next event and we wanted to focus on um, uh, BAME writers. And uh, yeah. I believe it's at the 25th of June. Yeah. And you're just in the process of taking scripts on board. That's right, yeah. The actual event is a script reading, or That's series right. of script readings. So although we can't talk about what's going to be there, we know what the format's going to be. Yes, we know what the format's going to be. Um, we just closed the deadline for scripts last week, actually, so um, my comrades and I are in the process of reading through everything at the moment. Do you get quite a few in? Yeah, it differs from it differs from one month to the next, but we, um, we got like over 150 on our first call out, um, which was overwhelming. Um, and then it it peaks and troughs. Um, uh, I think we had about 25 this time around, which is the lowest amount we've had. But I mean, we're, we're happy to get one or two. Like we were happy that anyone wants to send us their script. I completely sympathize when you're trying to do projects. Getting anybody involved is always a treat. Yeah. So thank you very much for being here today. My, one of the last questions though, I believe you're involved with uh, an organization called Civil Disobedience. That's right, yes. Can, can you tell me first of all what that is, mm -hmm. but also does it connect with the work that's coming to the CCA? Yes, it does. Um, so Civil Disobedience are a live arts production house in, based in Edinburgh, run by uh, Barry Churchwoods and Joseph Churchwoods, and I'm their associate producer. And Civil Disobedience uh, makes and supports art that has a social justice angle, um, focuses on equality, uh, and particularly uh, around LGBTQ rights as well. And Persistent and Nasty sits in the family and portfolio of work that Civil Disobedience do because it it's about marginalised voices. We have a, a, a broad portfolio of work, everything from drag shows and cabaret to intense, immersive performance art and and regular theatre. Um, at the moment, we are developing a show called Jock Tamsin's Bairns, which is like a an immersive drag theatre, which I think you might be familiar with. I think yes, you may yes, have seen I it. Am, in yeah. It, it actually yeah. came here, didn't it? It's it did, it came to the CCA. Yeah. And was it the Roxy in It Edinburgh was at the Roxy, yeah. As well? yeah. And yeah. that's a sort of ongoing project then as well. Yeah, it is, yeah. That, you saw it in its work in progress. It, it was just in its very early stages at that point in time. Um, I'm always in first with things. Well, thank yeah. you <laughs> so much for coming in to talk today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for and, having uh, me. 25th of June? 25th of June, that's right. Do you know which space it's in? In the theatre upstairs. We're in the theatre, yeah. The theatre upstairs. And... How do people get tickets for it? You can book through the CCA box office um, by going online to their website or calling them. That's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Gareth. Thank you. And in a very busy episode of the podcast i finally come to my final guests i'm going to ask one of them to introduce herself first of all if you wouldn't mind hey, my name is viviana and what's your role at the cca i work here as public engagement curator what does that actually mean for the cca what is public engagement all about bringing art and society together and is there anything going on in the next month that you'd particularly point out as being an important example of that for the CCA? Oh, lots of things. Uh, we have still many events to come with the Cooking Pot program, as well as with the School for Civic Imagination and with Political Animal. Now, we do have somebody who is sitting in the corner, Johnny, who we'll speak to in a moment about some of those, but I wondered about the Cooking Pot. What is that? Because food and soil 
seem to have been two major themes of this podcast. So what is the Cooking Pot initiative? So the Cooking Pot started in 2015. is a program that tries to work around the idea of multiculturalism in Glasgow. So food uh, becomes a social tool for people to come together and uh, rediscuss what is their own culture of origin and how is that food can be a connection between who they are in Glasgow, how we can learn together through food, enjoy, have fun, and also experience differently the terroir of Scotland through food. Uh, so as you can see, is a process of learning and discovering and enjoyment, sometimes also quite painful and challenging, depending on the multicultural encounter that we will have. But uh, it has been really interesting to do this for so many years. It's based on the generosity of lots of Glaswegian and Scottish people, as well as migrant communities and uh, communities of asylum seekers and refugees here in Glasgow. People are really trying to share the resources that they have got. So some of the people taking part are bar owners or restaurant owners or chefs uh, or community workers or social workers. And we are sharing uh, the energy, but also we are sharing the resources that we have got at, at a human level, but also at a financial level. So we will bring together the events, either at their location or at CCA. So it's also a program that expands the CCA engagement outside the doors of the physical building of the CCA. So I was very surprised because I don't really know about this kind of work that goes on. I associate the CCA with a lot of the events that happen here. But this is something on a well, completely different kind of work that the CCA does as well. Now, we do have uh, Johnny Rogers sitting in the corner silently. And I'm not going to go over to him just yet. But what project is he involved in? Well, Johnny has been involved in many different projects with the CCA. Uh, we started officially our collaboration with the Scottish European Parliament. Um, it was a commission by Dutch artist Jonas Tal. And in that case, uh, Johnny operated as one of the most knowledgeable people about the history and social political context here in Scotland. It was a rediscussion about the future of Scotland and how Scotland can or cannot be European or uh, connected with the UK. Um, and so that, that, that was one example. That project, as much as political animal, has been affected by the fire at the GSA. So it was then postponed and rescheduled and uh, it was really actually important for me to have Johnny's support because we could reschedule the project successfully because of the passion and the enthusiasm that we both shared for these projects. He was also involved in the School for Civic Imagination. We just hosted an event celebrating the 100 years of the Bauhaus. And, and then finally, we are now preparing for political animals. So overall, I would say that Johnny has got a very interesting profile. He's someone that can bring in indigenous knowledge, is like a native, but then at the same time uh, is an highly professionalized academic person. So it's quite an interesting combination of someone that is knowledgeable about the place, about architecture and the development of Scotland, but also at the same time quite down to earth, uh, connected with communities as well, the artistic community, but also a general public, thanks to his devotion to the students and the rest of people that are attending since years, the rich program of events that he's putting together with the GSA and with the magazine that he co-founded, The Truth. Well, Johnny, I hope you're going to be able to live up to that 
Very I doubt it. <laughs> so you're involved in Political Animal. Then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Political Animal we've been working on for a couple of years. And it's interesting that um, Viviana, in her definition of um, public engagement here at CCA, talks about bringing art and society together. Because I think that's very much one of the themes in Political Animal. Um, I think what Viviana and I have been trying to do is take the the idea of kind of... Uh, the civic as as a way of, of a political gathering of people and uh, examining the similarities and the differences uh, in in civic formations from between civic formations and other should we say more unconscious or instinctual formations we're talking about the mob the crowd the pack so the animal if you like you know and taking off of course from Aristotle's political animal that that man is the animal man Ooh, watch that human beings are the animals, that's plural, that live in the city. Yeah, and so one way of getting at that, obviously, is, is bringing a whole lot of artists together. I mean, first of all, I think we move from one of the important forms that inspired us, uh, both Viviana and I, and in the book we've done together with uh, the Indian artist uh, Prabhakar Pachpute, who's uh, coming over. One of, the one of the most important influential forms for us was of the fable, which, of course, is a codification, if you like, of political possibilities, of moral possibilities, by using, you know, well, an talking animals. So, uh, so the animal as a way of getting at a, a much fuller, rounder notion of uh, human behaviour and human behaviour, particularly in the city, because obviously the animal we think about in the country, the field, whatever, uh, beyond the city. So how do you bring these things together? One way that's been really important for us is through the commissioning of artists, writers, activists, academics, all coming together in this event, which uh, I think it, it brings together, obviously, politics and art and, and uh, the whole notion of the civic, what is it, but it brings them together in not only giving discourses and talking and speaking, but in performance, in music, in art. The, Indi in, the Indian artist Prabhakar Pachputi, who's coming, for example, is going to paint, well he's not going to paint, he's going to do chalk hand drawings type of almost like murals, he doesn't call them murals, he just calls them drawings but murals gives you the notion of the scale and that either done on walls and so forth uh, how big and what, what the scope of them is if you like and that's inside the Reed building at the Glasgow School of Art which is one of those kind of modernist buildings that's entirely white inside, there's massive big uh, interior walls partitions that are white and he's going to cover them with uh, these animals drawings in in chalk which are absolutely stunning and wonderful you, you can go online actually and, and see lots of kind of time lapse recordings of him doing these types of murals in different places across the world so he's really well-known artist it's really an honor to have him here that's kind of the whole event takes off from that I think I would say that's the the context in which we set the whole thing and there's a few other events that are surrounding that as well yes there are there's lots of music going on there's Mexican art look there's people coming from Mexico there's people coming from China there's people coming from lots of different European countries I mean Poland Germany uh, Italy person from Greece can't come anymore never mind <laughs> but anyway so really exciting things for example you see other sorts of events absolutely Mexican artist Daniel Godinez Nivon. I hope I've said that correctly, Daniel. He's coming over here and he's going to be doing a workshop where he uses, he he um, exploits, if you like, uh, well, that's not 
perhaps the terminology he would use, but he exploits a particular form called the tekio, which is a kind of communal work performed by different indigenous communities in uh, Mexico. And they perform this together. And what it does, what is interesting about this work, the tekio, is that it forms bonds across generations and within communities. There is a, a, a similar type of work done in the you know, indigenous communities in Scotland. We're talking about the, the peasants, the, the, the highlanders in the, in the northwest with cutting peat, for example, where a whole community would come together. That, it's that kind of thing, just to give people here the idea of what we mean by tekio. So what he's going to do is he's going to perform a workshop. And through that workshop, somehow, and obviously I don't know yet because I haven't seen it work yet, but I have full confidence in Daniel, obviously, coming all the way from Mexico to do this. And uh, what he's going to do is we're going to perform this workshop of a tekio, you know, a communal work, and that's going to be translated into a piece of music which some uh, musicians who are coming along to the event are going to play as well. So there's all sorts of things. There's also a Palestinian uh, choreographer, dancer, who's going to be there. There's, um, you know, so there's lots of different aspects to political animal. It's a really exciting thing. Viviana, how would you define the, the political animal? Political animal is a multidisciplinary event. We are trying to leave the sort of um, academic format of a conference uh, using some of the devices of a conference, but expanding them with what Johnny mentioned, like works of art and music and further engagement. So there will be three more, like let's say, central moments uh, for this event. Conventionally, conventionally they are called panels, but uh, we will call them cabinet and cages. The first one is examining the festival culture in Glasgow and Scotland, but also reaching festival culture in China, for instance, and questioning why it is important, is really nurturing local culture. So what's the question around the festival and biennial culture? Then the second uh, moment, the second focus of the day, uh, will be around spatial justice. And uh, in this case, we will try to interrogate the relationship between the law, the space, the justice, not only here in Scotland, but worldwide. Um, so for that specific panel, we will have an assemblage of four different uh, women, very strong women, coming from Mexico, Palestine, Slovenia, and Poland. Well, when's that happening? That's the uh, 21st of June, and it will happen here at the CCA in the theater space. Uh, each day will um, end with an assembly, so people will just gather and rediscuss some of the things that emerged during the day. Um, so, but these assemblies will then somehow be articulated by the practitioners that are accompanying us in the event. So the first day it will be just a, a more uh, political discussion in which we are trying to have some points around this idea of how we create culture in this town, what is the question around justice. So it's somehow the conclusion, no? in, instead of a keynote, you would have this assembly conclusion. And then the second day, the focus is on writing, publishing, and alternative media. So in that case, we are questioning how is that we actually write the city, what are the ways in which we can write the city. Also, in, in that case, we have a quite interesting um, series of contributions from all over the world, uh, including India, for instance. And, and then what we will do during the afternoon, uh, we will open the space for the people who had attended the event, um, and we will flip the condition of participation. So generally, in 
so-called conferences with so-called panels, you would have a one-to-many approach. Someone is on stage and giving you some ideas and then you can participate in a question and answer. But with the bar camp format, uh, any participant is actually in charge of the conference. So they will have a moment in which they can present their own ideas, they can lead a workshop, uh, they can just create a reading group. Uh, it's quite a temporary, is on the spot, is for a couple of hours during the afternoon, and this will happen at the Glasgow School of Art. Techio, that uh, Johnny was mentioning, uh, by Daniel Godinez Nivon, um, is going to be a really interesting moment for us to translate those ideas in an assembly so again, is an assembly, you know, but for music. So for the Tecchiorola, this is the specific format we are going to use. We will take notation of what has been said. Uh, we will translate words into signs, and then musicians are going to improvise those signs uh, in a composition that will take in total 45 minutes. So it's going to be very experimental. We both don't know how that is going to sound like, but we are really looking forward. Given your experience with the Druth, Johnny, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about the magazine? Well, the magazine is just basically set up as a format for um, for all sorts of artists, activists, people involved in politics to write, but to write well and at length, where you wouldn't in the in the everyday press, for example, the daily press, you wouldn't get a chance to write articles of length where you can really develop a theme. I mean, the max you could do is you know, a couple of thousand words. So, you know, if you want, you could do something for the truth of up to eight, nine, ten thousand words and develop themes that don't have to be entertaining, that don't have to be something that will the people read it. So if you've got something serious to say, that's all we're interested in. In many ways, I think the, that attitude pays into political political animal from the truth and from other uh, there's lots of other kind of I suppose you would call them you know um, not mainstream kind of media we've also got for example there, there are uh, curators from Italy Vessel who are involved and they're the editors of this particular edition of the truth there's another magazine uh, architectural magazine is involved so there's lots of different kinds of artists and um, well activists like I say involved in this but if you take something like you know we've we've talked about the techios, we've talked about Prabhakar, the artist. There's also people like in the panel about writing, how we write the city. There's also a group from Netherlands called, got to be careful with this name, but this is their name, I say this in quotes, f***ing good art. That's what they're called. And uh, they're a kind of travelling anarchist magazine. And basically, wherever they go, they will create a publication out of what they write and make it on site. So, And they'll also be, be showing us an exhibition about anarchist publishing while they're here. And that goes really well with, say, for example, to show the cosmopolitan, if you like, aspect of this. But it's still a grassroots thing. We've got Ravi Sundaram coming from India, who is going to speak about how sort of different people in uh, India, like, say, fishermen for example, have set up their own kind of internet, their own network, uh, communications network through old Nokia phones and all this. So it's all about how new communication systems work. Well, I think the most important thing is when, when is this happening, Viviana? So we will start on the evening on the, of the 20th of June uh, with the launch of the book and the exhibition at the Glasgow School of Art. So you are all welcome. Uh, is not ticketed. You can just come anytime and enjoy some fun, some drinks, and some of the marvelous work that is going to be shown there. Then it will continue on the 21st of June from 10 o'clock until 6 p.m. here at the CCA. And we will end the day um, on, sorry, we will end the event on the 22nd of June at GSA again from 10 o'clock until 6 p.m. We still don't know, but we are trying to arrange a party. 
Yes. <laughs> right, so look out on the CCA website for the dates and times of the party. Yes. <laughs> but there will be a launch of the magazine on the same evening. Um, so also that one is not ticketed and everybody is welcome. Wonderful stuff. Listening to you talk about it, I'm starting to see the way in which the CCA does engage with bigger issues. We talk about the contemporary art uh, aspects of the centre. Well, that's what its name is. But there's something there that really connects him from the cooking pot through to the political animal event with the way that people talk and reaching out to people to enable different kinds of thinking. Yeah. And e even the, the way the format has been put together it sounds wonderful i was getting very excited listening to it. that's the joy of not doing research this is how i find stuff out <laughs> and i'm really excited about the event now so thank you so much for taking the time to talk today thank you oh. so much cheers bye and you have been listening to the cca podcast the second one a brief insight into the events and people that make the center for contemporary arts happen it's been very exciting to have the guests on today so i should just take a moment to thank amelia sabrina Sharnazir from bhp and of course Johnny and Viviana, who finished off us there very nicely, exciting me very much about Political Animal that's happening at the end of the month. I'd also like to give a grateful shout-out to Julie and Sam, the CCA communication team, and Kenny Christie for his technical support. If you can hear me, that's because he set me up properly. And finally, a big thank you to Sarah Sell, who provided the incidental music, not quite as much this time because I've had so many guests, and I really know to sign out. This has been the CCA podcast, broadcast on Sunny Govan FM and also on the SoundCloud of the CCA itself. Thank you once again for listening.